Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 7 through 16. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through uh, 16. Here we go. This is what the Word of God says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love um, that you have for us. And God, I pray today that you would encourage people as we look at different facets of your love, different angles of your love, and our call to love as well. May we embrace your love for us uh, in a greater way as we leave, and may we have a greater love for one another, God. Challenge us with your word. Your word is authoritative over our lives. It's inerrant, infallible. God, it's clear and it's sufficient for everything that we need to fully love you and obey you and follow after you, God. We love you. We pray that these next few minutes that you would, God, just quiet our hearts, silence our hearts from maybe something that's going on during the week or is coming up. God, I pray that you would just allow us to focus our entire mind and heart and eyes upon you. We love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Men, do you remember shopping for your wife's engagement ring? Do you remember what that was like? Well, I remember what that was like. I remember going to the jewelry store and uh, walking in and just being overwhelmed by all of the selection of rings and diamonds and cuts and all kinds of things. I was just super, super overwhelmed. But uh, the, the gentleman who was helping me he said, don't worry. I'm going to simplify it for you. I'm going to simplify it for you. I'm going to give you the four C's of diamonds, the four C's of diamonds, and I'll just make it simple so you can understand. And so 
He says, okay, the first C is cut. You know, every, every diamond is cut differently, so you need to understand the cut of the diamond. And by the way, man, if you're single here, pay, pay very close attention to this, all right? You got to know this stuff one day. And he said the cut. You got to know the cut. That's the first C. Then you got to know the color of the diamond. The diamond, every diamond has different colors, so you got to know the color of the diamond. And number three is the clarity. You got to know the clarity of the diamond. Not all diamonds are clear. Some are a little foggier than others and things like that, you know, all the stuff. And then he goes, he goes, you have to know uh, the carrot of the diamond as well. Like how, how big, you know, is, is this ring going to be? How, how big is this rock going to be? Is it going to be, you know, you know, one of those as, as big as the, the, the diamond Titanic, right? You remember that? She drops it across. Now, that, thing, that thing's a huge diamond. You know, how, how big is the carrot going to be? And so he was explaining these things to me, the cut, the color, the clarity, and the carrot. And I'm like, dude, like you, you missed a C. Like you missed a C. There's five C's of diamonds, the cost of diamonds. Okay, okay, amen, anybody, any many, amen? Yes, okay, some of you guys, right? Like, it's just like, yeah, the cost of diamonds. And I'm just like, dude, that's really what matters is the cost. I don't know what you're talking about, but, uh, but diamonds, as, as this man gave me a lesson on the, on the four C's of diamonds, which should be five C's, uh, he, gave me, he gave me just some really uh, in, insight, right? Like, uh, about the cut of the diamond, about the cut of the diamond. You see, diamonds have many surfaces known as facets, right? Facets. Uh, it's, it's essentially just the surface of the diamond, and every single diamond has a facet and, uh, or the surface of the diamond or the cut of the diamond. And so the way that the diamond is cut uh, really determines how light hits it and then how it shines bright and all that stuff in the light, uh, how, how much it just blings, right? And so the most common diamond has about 58 facets. The most common diamond, about, in a little diamond, 58 surfaces or 58 cuts in one single little diamond. You're probably, Johnny, what in the world does diamonds have to you know, do with First John? What in the world does that have to do? I'll tell you. You see, in the same way, First John, in First John, the topic of love is like a diamond. Have you noticed that? John has taken the topic of love and has shown us so far in three chapters, going on four, different facets of love, different angles of love um, and so just to refresh your memory, uh, he, this is what John says so far, different angles, different facets of love. Uh, John says that loving others, as primarily believers, is evidence that we are in the light. That's what he says. That, it, that, that when we love other brothers and sisters in Christ, it gives evidence that we are in the light. Loving others is evidence that we are children of God. You remember, there's only two types of families, according to John, in, in this world. Uh, and part of knowing what family you're in, you're either in the, the family of, of God or a child of God or a child of darkness. And so John says the way to know is through the way you love the brothers and sisters in Christ. The loving others, according to John, is evidence that we have been born again. That's what John says, that we have been born again. So we, we've come to new life out of darkness, and the way we know that we've been truly converted or saved or regenerated is if we love one another. John also says that loving the world, now let's flip that, loving the world is evidence that the love of the Father is not in us. If we love the things of the world, and if we love what the world loves, John says it gives evidence that we are not of God. And I could go on and go on, continue, continue, but if you get the point, John is taking this topic of love and showing us different facets of that topic. And today, John is going to give us four additional facets 
to the topic of love that I believe are going to be very encouraging to our lives as well as challenging. Now, before we get into those four facets of love, I just want to say this. Uh, as, as I read the text, uh, and you've been with us in, through, this, through this journey and, and know First John, you started to pick up on a lot of things that John kind of restates, right? A lot of the things you're like, okay, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. So what I'm going to do this morning is not touch on the things that he's already talked about. You can go back and watch those previous sermons, but what I want to do this morning is focus on the things that John hasn't really uh, expounded on or explained or stated, okay? That's kind of my approach for this morning. So, four facets of love uh, here in chapter 4, verse 7 through 16. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. It's the standard of love. It's the standard of love. Uh, John, in verse 7, says, Beloved, let us, one an- let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's verse 7. And so John covers this already in chapter 3, verse 14. But what I really want to focus on is verse 8. Look what he says in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. You see, what John is trying to do here is define love and define the standard of love. And he says that God is love. Now, a couple of things on that. First, God is the one that defines love. Love does not define God. So God is love. Love is not God. Okay, we need to get that straight. Love is not God. And I think sometimes in our culture today, uh, there's a great emphasis on love, and there's like this idolatry over love, and this is what God wants, and it's it's only, only, only love. And a lot of times, our culture tries to define that God is only love, or that God, that that, that love is God, I'm sorry. But, But love is not God. Love is not God, but the Bible says that God is love. So God defines love. The other thing I want to say is that humanity doesn't define love. Like, we don't get to choose what love is and what love looks like. We don't get to choose the standard, as believers, of how we are to love one another. We don't choose it. The world also doesn't define the standard of love or what love looks like. Because what does our world say when it comes to love and the standard of love? Well, love is a feeling, right? Uh, Love is when you just get this feeling in your stomach and you get the butterflies in your stomach. That's what love is according to our culture. Our culture also says that love is commitment or that love is a sexual relationship or that love is love or that Even love is hard to define, but you'll know it when you see it type of thing. So we don't get to define love and how we love. The world doesn't get to define love and how they love. So let me give you a definition of God being love. Uh, My professor, Wayne Grudem, uh, puts it this way. He's very clear. He's very simple. He says that God is love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. Simple, clear definition, isn't it? That God is love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. And I would add to that definition 
that everything that God does is loving because his actions are rooted in his very nature. So if God is love, he will always act loving even when we feel or think that he's not loving. Everything that God does is loving. And so what John is trying to do here, church, is define the standard of love. And God himself is the standard of love. Now, by way of example, I think the best example of God's standard of love is his revelation of his love by saving sinful humanity through his son, Jesus. The standard of God's love is best revealed in saving sinners by sending his one and only son into the world to die on the cross. That's the standard of God's love. You're familiar with this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, when you think about it, that's really the standard, right, of love. That God loved a world sacrificially that God loved the world so much that he was willing to give his one and only unique begotten son to a world that was rebellious towards him. I mean, think about that love. Those of you who are parents and you love your baby so much, I mean, think about that. Would, would you be willing to give up your kid for a world that didn't even love you and honor you? Just think about that for a second. And so God's sacrificial love gave his one and only son for a world that didn't love him, that rebelled against him. So God is the standard of love. God eternally gives of himself to others, and God's actions are always loving. And those who are truly born of God, those who are that truly know God, those who are truly children of God, will reflect his very nature. So the question for you, church, this morning is this. What is your standard of love? What is your standard of love? Is it you? Like, are you your own standard of love? Or is it God? Is it your feelings? I just don't feel like loving today. Or is it the Father? That's the standard of your love. Is it your circumstances? Well, you know, this person hurt me, and this person talked bad about me, and and sure, it hurts, right? And we have to forgive, and it's difficult to forgive. But Jesus loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So is it your circumstances, or is it Christ himself? What is your standard of love? Believer, we don't get to love whatever way we want. We don't get to choose to love whatever way we feel like. God is the standard of love, and we reflect his standard of love because we are in him and reflect his nature. Therefore, our love for one another is sacrificial, giving up of ourselves all the time. So the first aspect or facet of love that John is trying to cover here is the standard of love. But notice this in verse 9 and 10. I want you to notice the model of love. The model of love. In verse 9, he says, In this 
the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And again, John already covered this in chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. But again, I want you to know verse 10. I want you to see verse 10. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So the father sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, in these verses, the apostle John describes God's love in that he sent his one and only son into a dead world to offer eternal life. He sent his one and only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is, simply means this, that Jesus on the cross bore the wrath of the Father that we were supposed to bear on ourselves. And so when, when Jesus bears the wrath of the Father upon himself, God no longer looks at us in wrath or in fury. He looks with us in favor. That's what the word propitiation means, that he satisfies the wrath of God so that God can look at us with grace and mercy and favor. Now, yes, God gave, according to this text, God gave us his son to redeem us from bondage. But I also believe that the father sent the son as a propitiation uh, for us, not only to redeem us from bondage, but as a model or example of what it looks like to love. God the Father sent his son as a model, as an example for us. Now, how does Jesus then model love for us? There's so many ways, right? There's so many ways that Jesus models love for us. Compassion, self-sacrifice, forgiveness. He's our advocate. Uh, you know, all of these things that, that we can say, okay, this is this is how Jesus is loving. But I think there's one way that Jesus modeled love that often gets overlooked, that, that never really gets talked about. And I just want to point that out here, the model and example of love. Again, there's many, but I really think this one just never really gets talked about. And it's found in John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18. It says this, for this reason, and this is Jesus speaking, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, Jesus models love by being willing to die on the cross. Nobody forced Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus loved willingly. He volunteered his love. In other words, love is an exercise of our will. Let me put it even more simply. Love is a choice. Jesus chose willingly, voluntarily to love us and to die on the cross for us. Yes, love is an action. We've heard that over and over if you've been in church, right? Love is an action. But before it's an action, it's a decision. You have to decide to love 
before you can actually love. Isn't that true? And that's what Jesus does here. He willingly chose to go to the cross for us. He is our model. He is our example. I have a question for you. In one day, how many decisions or choices do you think you make in one day? In one day, how many choices or decisions do you think you make in one day? Some of you are like, I don't know, three? I think I make three. How many choices do you make in one day? Well, researchers at Cornell University estimate that the average adult makes about 35,000 choices a day. That is a lot of choices. 35,000 choices a day. 35,000, that's a lot. I tried counting. I stopped counting after like 10 minutes. I mean, it's hard. It's really, really, really hard. Of those 35,000 choices, church, that you make every day, I want to encourage you and challenge you to choose to love daily. Choose to love daily. Choose to love daily. Willingly, joyfully, sacrificially. Choose to love your enemy, as Jesus says. Choose to love the person in your life that is difficult to love. Choose to, lo- choose to love the person that hurt you. Choose to love the person that annoys you. And if you don't have anyone that annoys you, I have an idea who it is, or I don't know. Choose to love the hurting and the broken and the forgotten. Choose to love even when you don't feel like loving. Choose to love. You see, when you choose to love, you will be changed by love. When you choose to love, you will be changed by love. When we love sacrificially, willingly, obediently, out of joy, even when we don't feel like it. Man, God transforms our life. He transforms our hearts when loving others, especially when it's hard to love. So, Facet number one is the standard of love. Facet number two is the model of love. Jesus is our model and example for love. Facet number three of love in this text is the revelation of love. The revelation of love. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. John has said this over and over and over and over through this entire letter. Love one another, love one another, love one another, right? But look at verse 12. He says, which is a very interesting thing to say, isn't it? No one has ever seen God. Just, it's just interesting for a second, right? Hey, love one another, but no one has ever seen God. It's just a weird transition there. He says, if we love one another, verse 12, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So, John points out that nobody has ever seen God in his fullness, in his essence, right? Uh, if, you would, if we were to see God in his fullness, in his essence, I mean, we would completely die. Like we, can't, we cannot see him in his fullness, in his essence. Obviously, uh, there are people in the Bible that saw God, for example, in what we call theophanies. 
a theophany is a physical appearance or personal manifestation of God to a person. So, for example, a theophany would be a Moses and the burning bush, right? Moses didn't really see God's fullness and it got God in his essence, but he saw a manifestation of God through a burning bush. But John says no one has ever seen God in his fullness. Now, the question is, basic Bible study, right? If you're making observations, you would then ask yourself, well, why does John make this comment? Like, why does John out of nowhere say no one has ever seen God? It's just weird. It just seems like it doesn't belong there. Well, if no one has ever seen God, right, and Jesus is no longer physically and visibly present to reveal God, how will the world know and see God's love? That's what John is trying to get at here. No one has ever seen God and can see God. Jesus is no longer physically on earth. Jesus was the perfect revelation of the Father. And so how will a dying, dark, broken world then see and experience God's love, right? How will they do that? Well, John Stott, who was a pastor and theologian, uh, he pastored um, All Souls Church in London for 66 years. I think he died in 2011, but he says this. He says, the unseen God who was once revealed in his son is now revealed in his people when they love one another. How will the world see God? How will the world see Jesus by the way you and I love each other, by the way you and I care for one another? Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. And isn't that, the tr isn't that true? That the world will see that there's something different about us by the way that we care for one another. I mean, this, this is true of the, especially of the early church in Acts chapter 2. This is exactly what happened. L let me just read you an early account of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received uh, their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God, and notice this, okay, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that powerful? That the early church spent time together, uh, ate together, uh, loved one another, uh, provided for one another, sold of their possessions to make sure everyone was taken care of, and they had favor with all people, and because of this, the world saw that the love that the, the believers had for one another and the Lord added daily to the church. That's powerful, isn't it? To love one another. The world is looking, church. 
Look what John says in verse 12. He says, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? What does that mean that his love is perfected in us? It means this. When John says that love is perfected in us, he means that God's love for, love for us reaches its intended completion or goal when we in turn express love for others. others. In other words, it comes full circle. God's love for us comes full circle. God loves us, and we take that love, and, not, and we don't hoard it for ourselves. God loves us unconditionally and sacrificially. Then we love other people, right? And so when we love other people, especially the brethren, what does that mean? It means that we love God. So to love others is to love God, and to love God is to love others, and it's a full circle. So if we really love God, we would love others. So church, let me just remind you, believer, that you are the revelation of love to this world. You are the manifestation of love to a dark world by the way that you love each other according to God's standards. So let your love shine. Let your light shine. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, says this about us being the light. And we also know from Scripture that God is light, right? That's what Scripture says. And so if God is light and God is love, then we reflect and reveal the very nature of God. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine by the way you love people, not for your glory, not for my glory, but for the glory of God alone. I love being the pastor of Restoration Church. I do. I, I love it, and I wouldn't change anything about it. Like, I love being the pastor at Restoration Church, especially when I get emails like the one I got a couple of days ago. I got an email from the school district, the Peoria School District, and this is what they said to us. They said, Congratulations, you have been recognized by your school for your outstanding service, dedication, and commitment to our staff and students. On behalf of the Peoria Unified School District, we thank you for, your, for you going above and beyond to support our schools. Your dedication helps turn our mission statement, every student, every day, prepare to shape tomorrow, into a reality. We were chosen as volunteer of the year for Sunset Heights Elementary, and so they're going to do a little reception uh, before their board meeting uh, in a couple of weeks. But it's because we were just simply loving the school. It's because we paid for, I don't know, a few hundred lunches of kids that couldn't eat. The kids were going hungry in, in this very cafeteria, and we said, uh-uh, not here, not if, not if we're the church in, in this community. We had a serve day where we cleaned up and picked up and made this place look beautiful. We've done stuff for the teachers, appreciating them, and we've just done a lot of things. And not, again, to get anything back. We're not here to get anything, but it's simply because we are called to love and reveal that love 
to the world. So church, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud to be your pastor. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being that light. Thank you for those of you that physically served at serve day and, and, and helped make this place beautiful. Thank you for those of you that help with the appreciation cards and all of those things. And thank you for those of you that give generously of your finances so that we can bless kids who weren't able to eat lunch. This is all I'm saying in this point. You may be the only Jesus people may ever see. You may be the only Jesus people may ever see. So love well, let your light shine before all men. Fourth aspect and final aspect of God's love in this passage is this, is the assurance of love. The assurance of love. Uh, Look at verse 13 in your Bibles with me. It says, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John already covered this, right, in chapter 3, verse 24. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, John testifies and has seen the risen Christ. He's touched the risen Christ, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 4. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. He's already covered this, but he hasn't covered verse 16. Verse 16 is new for John. And I believe that it's going to be very encouraging for you. Look what it says. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I want to read that again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. John now wants to reassure and comfort his believers. He wants to reassure that they are truly in the faith. He wants to encourage them. He wants to reassure that they are true children of God. Because if you remember the backstory, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of conflict, a lot of division, a lot of, of false teaching. And these, this group of people, they, they, were, they were teaching falsely, uh, and, and they were uh, creating uh, havoc in the church. And they left, and they were trying to take uh, some of, of John's people and, and having them believe these false teachings as well. So there was a lot of um, doubt, right? Doubt of their salvation uh, in this early church. And so John here is just trying to reassure them and comfort them. And he says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, the word know here, it's not to know about. It's not to know mentally, right? Intellectually. The word to know here means to know experientially, uh, to to experience. Experience the love of, of God, right? It's, it's one thing to know about the love of God. It's another thing to fully experience it in a powerful way. It's one thing to know that, that God gives us hope, right, and joy and peace. It's another thing that, especially when we're going through the valleys of life, to experience it in a powerful way in our life, the joy and the hope and the peace that God gives us. And so that word to know here, it's a powerful word. It's not just a mental knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. And the word to believe here means to accept as true. To accept as true. That's what it means. So what are we to know experientially? And what are we to know, or or I'm sorry, what are we to accept as true? What are we to accept as true? 
the love that God has for you. That God loves you. God loves you individually. God loves you. That's what John is trying to encourage his people with. That we're to know his love experientially and to accept it as true. I think the NLT version of the Bible, the translation puts it in the best possible way. It says this, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. I like how they word it that way. I'll read it again. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. So church, what kind of love does the Father have for you? You, you specifically. What kind of love does the creator of the universe have for you? Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that love, that while we were sinners, spiritually dead in our sin, spiritually rebellious against God, God loved you so much before you even loved him, and he sent his one and only son for us, for you. Isn't that an amazing love, church? I think we we get so desensitized when we hear that God loves us in the church. But John, what he's saying here is accept it. Experience it. It, 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 don't, Don't just check it off. Okay, I've heard that. I've heard that before. No, accept it. Experience the love of God. Romans 8, 37 and 39. Now, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, no things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you accept that? Do you accept that as true? That nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. Have you experienced this love for yourself? Have you experienced the love of God, not just knowing about it, but truly knowing it? If you've never experienced this love of God, then I encourage you, I plead with you to come to Christ to place your faith in Christ, to place your faith in Jesus, to experience this love that is unexplainable, unconditional for you. Accept it as true that God loves you. And maybe you have a hard time sometimes accepting that God loves you, right? You see, if you don't accept that God loves you, it might be because you don't think God accepts you. 
But I want to tell you this morning that if you are in Christ, if you are truly in Christ, he accepts you. You're his child. A lot of times like, oh, God can't love me. I'm so messed up. God can't love me. I've done all of these things. And so we begin to doubt God's love for our life. But let me remind you this morning that God loves you. He loves you dearly. Broken, messed up. Come as you are. He loves you. Accept it as true. Embrace it. Abide in it. Remain in it. That's what John tells us, to remain in his love. Meaning that we are to continually trust that God loves us. Sometimes we have to preach that to ourselves. When we're going through a difficult season in our life, when things are falling apart, and we begin to doubt, man, does God really love me? Sometimes we just got to preach the word of God to ourselves. God loves me. I know he, God, 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 Jesus died for me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. God loved me while, we, while I was a sinner. You got to preach God's love, remain in it, trust in it. And John, what he's trying to say here is that when we experience God's love, when we accept it as true, when we remain in it, all of that gives us assurance of salvation. To know him, to know his love, to accept his love, and to abide in his love gives us assurance of salvation when the enemy is trying to throw fiery darts at us, trying to cause us to doubt whether we are a child of God or not. So, in conclusion, God is the standard of love. The Son is the model of love. We are the revelation of love, and God's love for us is our assurance for our lives. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.